I'm Joshua Potts, Mr. Possible, always with the brother with the same mother. And here we got a special podcast episodes for two black runners where we did an interview with Marco Chuzetto at Running USA Industry Conference. It was a good time, Aaron. Just tell the people what they're kind of going to expect, bro. This interview is low-key fire. Yeah, this was this was a fire interview. Also, are we having the interview we did with Patrick Stigman on there, the ESPN? Yeah, that's right. That part's even a little bit even better, to be honest. That's so what I was going to say. Like a little bit. You get to see a little bit more background into us as well into that interview. Yeah, that was it was super dope experience just from the gun talking with someone from ESPN to, to start off and really like tell our story. Uh, some of you listening already know, some of you don't. But Marco Zazzetto, this guy is a comedian. He's a motivational speaker. He's low key a pastor. He's a spiritual leader. Like, yo, like this dude honestly <laughs> took over the podcast. I'm not gonna cap, but it was just so inspiring to see this man on stage going to work. You know, he was yeah, working the working the crowd. He was working us. Honestly, like I was so I was so impressed. I was like, yo, his public speaking on a level that I ain't at yet. But I think you guys are gonna really enjoy um everything he had to say. And you're going to also like enjoy like the interview that me and Joshua kind of did separately, too. But it's such a different vibe. Like, don't you do you feel that like it's such a different vibe when you're on stage in front of like 100, 100 plus people? Oh, no. Yeah, it was it was totally different. I've, absolutely. And just the fact of like of doing of getting like interviewed i think was the really cool part is that like patrick went up there interviewed us and then we got to interview uh marco and then the feel like the reaction from the crowd when like we actually like said something like funny i'm all like dang maybe we aren't just like corny people just like talking so that really helps as well so like it was a really good podcast a lot of people uh loved it some people said it was our best podcast ever so like i think you guys are going to really enjoy it People have been waiting for this. We wanted to get it out like right after the running industry conference, but nah, it didn't happen. But either way, it's still here. It's still here. And y'all finally get to hear our interview with Marco Chisetto at the running industry conference and Patrick Stigman's interview of us at the running industry conference. It's a weird mix, but you'll understand once we get into this and go all the way. Right, Aaron, you ready for them to watch this? I'm ready, man. Also, shout out again. Shout out, Pat. You killed, you killed it, bro. Appreciate all the questions you were asking us, bro. But I'm ready for it. I think the people listening are ready for it too. Without so, without further ado, let's do it. Without further ado, we got to introduce these guys. This is uh, a great session. We've never done anything like this at Running USA, and I'm thrilled uh, that we're kicking it off this year with these guys. Uh, I want to introduce Joshua Potts and Aaron Potts. These guys run the podcast called Two Black Runners, uh, and they're, they're going to come up here with Patrick Stiegman uh, from ESPN, uh, who's been with us in the past and is a, a runner and, and such a, a wealth of knowledge. Uh, and then they're going to have an interview, uh, the two you know, the two brothers, Aaron and, and Joshua, are going to talk with uh, Marco Cipetto, who uh, has a fantastic story in his own right. So, gentlemen, come on up and let's get this thing plugged in and get the AirPods in because we're going live. We on? We on? Yes, sir. Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be here, especially great to be here with these two uh, young gentlemen who are uh, incredibly impressive, and you'll find that out on your own. And if you don't, you can check it out every Black Tuesday. <laughs> did I? I yeah, yeah, that was you. good. That was good. You gotta yell it a little. A little <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do better than I do. Um, so I am Patrick Stigman. I uh, oversee uh, global digital content for ESPN, and I am a runner. Uh, and uh, happy to be among uh, this group and have run in many of your races and hope to run in many more. But I'm also a uh, consumer of running content and happened upon these guys. And uh, it, I want to spend a little bit of time before the beginning of the podcast today uh, getting a little background on them and getting the perspective on a few things in the, in the running world. Um, as an established member of the established Mint Media, I've seen our ESPN global digital content uh, grow at exponential scale over the globe. Um, over the last several years. Uh, but I think we've also seen through the power of social media, YouTube, uh, Instagram, um, podcasting, 
the power of individuals to bring their own voices to their own places and expand the way we all consume content. There's no better example of that and, and fresh and fun example of that than these two brothers um, who over the past two, almost three years, uh, Joshua and Aaron have been entertaining, informing and reframing the conversations around uh, running via their uh, running report, uh, YouTube channel and Two Black Runners podcast, uh, bringing what I would say is an encyclopedic knowledge, passion for the sport, infectious sense of humor uh, to fans everywhere. So you can read their bios on the app or in, in, in the book. I want to get into some more sort of uh, substantive background. Just tell me a little, tell this room a little bit, if you would, a little bit about your running backgrounds, how, what brought you into this, and what ins who inspired you? Yeah, I'll start. Being the, being the older brother, I'll, I'll start about the, about the running <laughs> background, but we come from a big track family, so it's not just me and Joshua. We have an older brother, and we have a, we have a younger brother as well that um, is like a shot putter. So my dad was our coach growing up. You know, we ran club track. I started like in the second grade. And the whole goal of us competing was to get a scholarship so we could get an education and go to the next level. And that's what our, our dad instilled in us and provided in us. Along the way though, like our dad is a super big track fan. Yeah. And we, we followed in that same footstep and we just started getting super into the sport, watching everything on flow track and runner space, keeping up with all of the runners. And that's kind of just where like the love for running came, came from originally. Yeah, and I started running when I was five years old. So like, I was running when I was really inspired by Aaron and my oldest brother Caleb. The really the favorite event, on my the best event on the track is the 800 meters, and I really wanted to run the 800. Yeah, thank you, thank you. There's some big 800 fans in here, but like that's I really wanted to run 800. So they sort of just motivated me at a young age to really just love track and field. In all honesty, like I was, I remember being at home and like I would run back and forth in the hallway pretending like I was in the four by one, like by myself. Like those were the type of things that that's how much love I had for the sport, and then. Just as we, and then I ran in high school, ran through club, went to Junior Olympics, and then I, I ran at Cal State Northridge for a little bit, and then I was just at Mount Sac uh, this past this past two years running. And then Aaron also ran in college as well as Azusa Pacific University, and he was like semi-pro with the Hoka, Hoka Aggies as well. So yeah, we just love track and field. We still run time to time. Aaron believes that he can beat like some football players in a 400, and. He thinks he could beat Kyler Murray in a 400. Now I'm all like, Aaron, hey, come at me. I don't, I don't, come I don't think so, bro. Like, I mean, he said he could break five in anything that he wears, and I'm like, Aaron, you can't break five right now. But it's, it's okay, it's okay. 6:15 a.m. on the red. Catch me. Follow me on Strava. Super hot pods. Just throwing that out there. So you you got into the media industry, if you will, um, by uh, launching Runner Report and then the Two Black Runners podcast, and you've said that. Part of the inspiration for that was a lack of um, minority representation in media in the running world. Tell me a little bit more about how that's played out and what reaction you've gotten and what impact you're trying to make. I think it really started because we were talking earlier, like every single morning, like waking up for school when we we're in elementary school and we we're all on the same roof, like we would always wake up. It was either our dad fixing pancakes and eggs all the time or and ESPN would be on that da, da 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 every single morning that sports center all the time and the sad thing about it is that we never saw track on there and I was thinking like we love track and field like I know that we we tell these stories and we have these conversations with our brothers all the time like the big conversation before we started running a report was all like is it Delilah Muhammad's time or Sidney McLaughlin's time that's what we. That's the big conversation that we were having. Aaron thinks it's Lil Muhammad's time, but I think it's Sidney McLaughlin's time. But we, that's a conversation for another day. But uh, as we, as we, as I uh, start the running report and everything, I was all like, I feel like running hasn't gotten to the level that it's gotten because we don't see the same type of characters all the time, and we don't see the same type of diversity in the running space, that we have people like Stephen A. Smith and like Stan Verrett, and, and the list can go on, even like Marcellus Wiley, all these people in the running space, Jalen Rose, that are like black faces just like us aren't in running. And I feel like if that same swag, if that same feeling, if that same diversity from all different cultures was in the media space, it could get to that level possibly. Yeah, think about Stuart Scott. You know, you're an ESPN guy. Think about how much that man really, like, 
changed the game, paved the way for everyone Joshua just named. And he made sports more fun, you know? And all of it comes to like as well, we were telling Austin, our uncle is a barber. We grew up in the barbershop. So everybody knows like barbershop talk, barbershop arguments. Like we have, there's four of us. So we're arguing every day about all who's the, the best, who's the best NBA player, you know, in the league and everything. Who's, who's the best football team? So the way we present ourselves and we act is just like natural and authentic. These are the conversations that we have over the dinner table arguing about, about the little Muhammad versus being the, being the best in the world, you know? I guess. So you guys, you She's guys. the best right now, technically, but you know. I love the interplay. Um, <laughs> you can tell your brothers. So you, you guys tackle some very fun and, and uh, light topics. You certainly tackle um, issues that are happening in the sport, uh, you know, on the track, but sometimes off the track and off the field as well. I'm curious. We were talking in an earlier session today about um, diversity in the running industry. And, kind of looking around this room, present company included, saying that we're not as diverse as we would like this room to be. Some of that's about representation. I'm curious what your take is on the representation or lack of representation among participatory runners um, in your average 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon versus I've had the privilege at ESPN to cover a number of Olympics and you know, track world championships and you see the elite runners of color um, at the highest levels, but not as many um, out on the, uh, everyday road races. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts on why that might be and how we can uh, correct it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that, really. We have to, like, go really, like, deep into history to really feel why, why do black people not feel welcome in these spaces? I think that's the first question we need to ask. You know, someone right before I came up on stage came up to me and asked, you know, why is there not black people? How do I get black people to come to my race? I, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I don't know where you I don't know where you live. I don't know what you're from. I don't know what your your race is doing, but I don't know why it's not attracting I don't know why it's not attracting black people. You know what I mean? But there has been like, you know, and I think everyone here should, you know, a plug running while running while black, Allison's book. You're gonna you're gonna read that. You'll you'll learn a lot about what the black black runner goes through, you know, and you, and because people ask me, there's black people that ask me, why why are you running? Why are you running distance, bro? Why don't you come over with the sprinters? You know what I'm saying? You're not welcome there, you know. That's basically what they're that's basically what they're saying. So I don't I don't know why you know black people aren't coming to your event. To be honest, I think one big thing and a little bit of like the backstory on it, and Allison was actually in this NPR video, but I used this with one of the, the assignments I did in, in college, I think, uh, last, last year, the book Jogging that Bill Bowerman made. Like, there's I don't, nothing against Bill Bowerman or anything, but his like archetype of a, was like a white runner and kind of like excluding black faces and black people from that space. And that back at that time, I think it was before then, but at one time, Oregon was a state that didn't have, you, you couldn't live there if you were black. So like being that in the essence of where the running craze, the jogging craze came from, just the archetype of that runner just wasn't, a black runner or a Hispanic runner or an Asian runner wasn't gonna be really welcome in America. But when you go to like Kenya and the East Africans, they're dominating. And there is, a, there is a connection for African-American men and women when they see like an East African on screen compared to just the African-American that's running the 800 meters. That's why I'm all, that's why I love especially the 800 right now, definitely for women, seeing a thing Mo, Ajay Wilson and, and Raven Rogers dominating. It's all like this, we come in, we come in. And it's, and it's, and it's really great to see and it's influential for the, the next craze of people, but then it's also like seeing those East Africans do it too. It's all like, it, it shows that it's possible. It shows that like those people inspires us. I know Aaron's favorite runner is Bernard Lagat. 100, and I think about like, I didn't really know anything about Ted Corbett before I went to go see the New York City Marathon and like, he's, I still don't know a ton about him. And that's a shame, you know? I know a lot about Bill Bowerman, but I would say Ted Corbett has done just as much or more than Bill Bowerman for, for running. So maybe if like, I'm, I've been running since the second grade, why did I not know who Ted Corbett was? You know, you could put that on me, but I bet you there's a lot of black runners like me that don't know who that is. 
So that segues to my follow-up question, which is you talking about the archetype. There was a column that was recently posted on Three Wire Sports by Alan Abramson, and with a provocative headline that said, track and field has a problem. His name is Steve Prefontaine. And I'm just gonna read a, a couple of paragraphs here, and I wanna get your guys' reaction. Um, Alan writes, track and field's problem is, to be blunt, with the ongoing fetishization of the Prefontaine legacy. To be even more direct, uh, this hagiography underscores the race and class problem that bedevil track and field. He was a white middle-class distance runner. This is precisely the demographic certain elements of the sport in particular, much of the running press, celebrates to, dispro to a disproportionate effect. I, I'm not asking you to give me a, a full breakdown on pre here, but, and by the way, Alan also praises the, the, the positive impact that pre's had it, but it's sort of this domino unintended consequence of continuing to hold him up as uh, the legacy for the sport may not be as welcoming to others to, to enter the sport. What do you guys think? I'll say this, start, I'll say this to start off. Like when I was younger, um, the first runner that I really like fell in love with and inspired me was Jesse Owens. And that's because his birthday's on September 12th and my birthday's on September 12th. And I did a book report on him when I was like in like the fourth grade or something like that. And then the next runner, I would say it's Prefontaine because I was a distance runner. So that was like, that, I think that's just like really interesting though. And Prefontaine was the next one that I, I learned about because he's a distance runner, Nike, all of that and stuff. But that's something that I feel like we talk about a lot because like Prefontaine, like, yeah, like I'm a distance runner. Like I, I understand, like he was, he is like the standard of like American distance runner running with like guts and stuff like that. But we know it. We know what Jesse Owens did. Like, come on now. Like, that should be that should be the face. You know, this guy stood up to Hitler. Like, that's insane. This guy set like three world records in one day. Like, you can't. I I understand pre, but I don't understand why Jesse Owens isn't plastered every everywhere. Um, but I do think that can be a barrier because it's defining. You know what the what is a distance runner really. And you even see today, like if somebody has long hair and a mustache, they're they're more loved. They're more loved than than the other people. Like I don't know, I don't know why. That's, that is a fact, though. I feel like. Yeah, it's just it's just unfortunate, but it's all like the it's just is what it is at some point as you look at it, and you're all like it will never change. That's what you kind of look at. But I think the whole star of the podcast is be able, because me and Aaron we're not the fastest people in the world. But be able, if a black high school kid can like latch onto our podcast, they just started cross country their freshman year, and for them to be inspired a little bit, just be like, I want to run all four years for I can be a black runner too, like that would be great. Be able, I, I remember like on our first episode, we talked about like when we go to cross country races, I would look down the line, like I would always give like black guy saw a nod, and, I, and I, in my mind, I'm like, I want to be the first black dude that crosses the line today. Like, I'm going I'm to compete with you, and like, we're going to try and get better together, and we're always supporting each other, because there's not as many out there in cross country, and that's just what, it makes it really fun, and just, pretty, yeah, he's, he's an archetype, but I, there's definitely, it's definitely changing. I also feel like, too, like, sprinters are so excluded from the industry and the conversation, because like, I say Prefontaine was like the first distance runner, but he wasn't the first runner that I identify with. You know what I mean? Jesse Owens was a runner. You know, sprinters are runners too. And that's one of my things too, is like, I feel like we need, we need to pull them into this, into this space, into this room. Focus group of one, you guys are making a difference. So uh, I, I'm gonna lighten it up with a couple of questions and we're gonna move on to the podcast. Um, you said that my good friend Stephen A. Smith should be debating uh, running on first take every day. What's the message I should take back to Bristol when I tell our, our, our sports center crew and our first take crew why uh, what you guys talk about should be what we're talking about? First off, the world championship is going to be in the US, at Eugene, in Oregon. Like, that's why you need to be talking about here. This is the opportunity to really skyrocket everything. And also, like, I know we, we've, been, we've been talking black, ultra black, 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 but I like, in this in the sports world and especially somewhere like sports center like in the sports world like two black the running right now is there's so much positivity for like black women and for for black men as well but especially black women who are dominating and pushing the envelope forward every single step of the way we need to talk about that just how we're advocating so hard for the WNBA in sports 
women's track and field right now is so, it can be such a bright light in the world in so many levels. And I feel like that's why you need to be talking about, and there's great storylines. We about to have Grant Holloway versus Ryan Benjamin in a 200 meter hurdles race that needs to be airing on ESPN soon, Chris. Like, it's gonna, like, <laughs> We're working on that, we're working on that. So, you guys have loved one on the, on the platforms as well. And uh, one example that I, I really loved was um, pointing out five things that high school cross country runners and college cross country runners you, uh, you think should be banned from cross country, uh, including no more water pit diving, nope. uh, no more porta potty challenges, how many people we can jam into the porta potty, uh, no more addiction to the Garmin, where if it says 5.93 miles, you gotta run till it gets to six. Yeah, come on. Uh, no more compression shorts under your short shorts. <laughs> And this one I don't think we can control, but no more deer on the cross-country courses because they run into the runners. Um, I'm going to ask you a few uh, uh, A-B questions, but anything on that list you'd like to expound upon here while I have you on the cross-country topic? We need to keep our young athletes safe. Like, come on. <laughs> we got to find the right courses to put them on. Yeah, like these deers, like these deers just be shooting out of nowhere. Like, come on, we got to pay attention. There's meat directors in this room. Like, come on, let's be. Let's be careful now. We don't, we don't want to get hurt. There's that. That would be scary. And the por and the porta bodies, like, come on, we, we come on. We know what time we're living in right now. We can't be doing that. All right. So I'm going to give you a lightning round A or B. I'm going to give you a word or a word, and you got to tell us which which one, each of you. And if you want to expound upon it, uh, you can do so. Distance or time? Distance. Mm, I would say my am I running now? Time. I don't really care about the distance. Interesting. Wave or nod? You said, they say that one again? Wave nod. or nod? When you see another runner on the, on, the, uh, on the street, do you wave at them or nod at them? I mostly wave, to be honest. Yeah. I, I only nod. Or I only nod, them. only nod if it's a fellow, you know, two black men. <laughs> Sprint or marathon? I'm trying to do a marathon soon, so I'll say that. I'm going to say sprint still. still sprint. Usain Bolt or Elliot Kipchoge? Usain Bolt. <laughs> no love for Kipchoge. Shakari in 2022, hype or hope? Hype. Hype and hope. Like, I mean, hope. Hope. Before, I was saying, I was saying going into 2022, it was going to be hype, but it's, not, it's hope for me now. What do you, what do you mean by hype, hype versus hope? Just the, the, the ongoing controversy and discussion of the suspension and whether she was fair or foul, all that conversation, or she's just going to get back on the, on the track and prove herself? I think she's going to prove herself. I think proving herself will be a fourth has. place finish, though. Like, I don't think proving herself is getting top three at Worlds. I think proving herself is fourth place would be proving herself. Because I don't know, those, those Jamaicans are fast. So. <laughs> like, that's going to be hard. That's going to be hard. Right? Uh, GPS or naked? GPS. Follow me on Strava, Super Park. <laughs> <laughs> Christian Coleman, podium or not at the Worlds? Podium. podium. Okay. Where on the podium? First. Excellent. Second. <laughs> Chairman Bomel is winning. So, one, two, USA. Sweep. Sweep. <laughs> uh, treadmill or sub freezing temps? Oh, treadmill. 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 Come on. <laughs> oh, man. Southern California. No, no, no. You don't no, live no. in Connecticut and Wisconsin, where I'm back nope. from. Uh, all right, for the record, Emma Coburn or Courtney Frerichs? Emma Coburn, come on, she's gonna break the American record soon enough. I'll say Courtney. <laughs> Just to be uh, challenging? And to give her some support, you know, give her some love. Okay, two more, headphones or inner voice? Depends on the day, really, but I don't know. Headphones. Depends how long the run is. Depends how long the run is. Like if I'm going for 12, then I need headphones. But if I'm going like six, I can chill with therapy, you know, but. What's on the playlist? What are you listening to? Sweet Dreams, definitely on the playlist. Uh, they Don't Care About Us by Michael Jackson's on there. Some Andy Mineo, some Willow Smith, uh, Transparent Soul is on there as well. So diversifying a little bit, you know. Outstanding. Well, thank you guys for the time. This was great to get to know you a little bit. Um, I think you can agree with me. A couple of impressive young men who are changing the industry uh, at a rapid pace. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to you two guys because uh, the, the star of the show today, um, uh, Marco Cicetto, an incredible story, 
And as this room is going to get the benefit of seeing a live or a podcast recorded live with the uh, two black runners and Marco. So thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so I guess it's our time to shine now. It's good to see us in session. So we're going to take every single Tuesday we record. So we're going to just imagine it's Tuesday because Aaron's going to start acting erratic in a second, and you may not understand what's going on. So, yeah, it, we're, it's Tuesday. Just imagine it's Tuesday. This is how I get my nerves out. And some of you might know the intro, so just yell it along with me if you do. All right, you ready? Let's go. All right. I'm Joshua Potts, Mr. Possible, always with the brother with the same mother, Aaron Potts, Super Hot Potts, and one your favorite two black runners coming at you every single two black two. The 2022 Run USA Industry Conference. It's amazing to be here. I'm Full surprised circle, we're here. Man. It's crazy. It's, it's insane. Yeah, it's really wild, really wild just, just to be here. I'm glad people are actually listening. I'm glad people are here live. It's going to be a really fun conversation. And yeah, man, I'm, I can't, we went to Universal Studios like two days ago. I think we're going to go to Disney World soon. It's, it's really exciting to be in Florida. It's having a great time. Yeah, bro. And the guests we have today, like the coincidence that this dude is from Florida is is crazy yeah. and we I mean we've had him on the podcast before that for those live if you want to go listen to that but he's done some crazy crazy things yeah yeah man. yeah let's let's just get into it yeah, let's yeah, get into it, man. Going in, going in. We got a he's with several time D2 All-American from Anchorage, Alaska University. But besides that, this man is awesome. This man is awesome. He's a double amputee marathon world record holder. Yes, I'm talking about 235.55 at the New York City Marathon. That's a hard course. And he ran 235, breaking his own world record, has done it several times. From Kenya, Marco Chizetto is joining us on the podcast. Marco, you come Give it up, give it up, give it up, give it up. Marco, man. <laughs> is this on the one? Oh, okay. <laughs> Found the right one. How surprised are you to, to see us in see us in person? Last time we, we saw you virtually. I'm not surprised. <laughs> You're not? No. No. Why would I be surprised? You know, for runners, there's nothing surprising. Because you're always doing a lot of surprising things. So you've been surprised indeed, you're not surprised anymore. But yes, I am surprised to see you <laughs> in Florida. But welcome to Florida. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's nice. I thought it was gonna be way more humid. Uh, yes, it's going to be way more humid. It's only that you're here in the wrong time. <laughs> you have to come the right moment to get the humidity. I don't want to, I don't want to come at that right moment, to be honest with you. Like, I'm, I'm cool, I'm cool with this, I'm cool with this. But let's talk, let's go from this right here first, bro. New York City Marathon, 235.55, breaking your own marathon world record, and also 10 years from the day that, that, that tragic day when you had hyperthermia, lost your legs and everything, like 10 years from that and having that great accomplishment, 235.55, that was, that was incredible. Yes, it was incredible, but you know, there is this thing, I like to call it a human spirit. The limitations that we have, the imaginary things that we think is preventing us from doing great are the things that we've convinced ourselves to be true. But if we, do, if we could believe in our full potential, I think we can all run your 235.55. The irony for me though was, you know sometimes how we think we need everything in life to succeed? Like, oh, if you need to get from Florida to New York or to Kenya, you need an aeroplane or from this place to this place, you need this. Yeah. But then for me, I was like, what do you, what is the prerequisite for you to be a runner? What do you need to be a runner? 
You need legs, right? Yes. You need legs. How, how come this dude was able to run a 235 without legs? <laughs> because I think it's a lesson that we really don't need all the things that we think we need and we complain about that it's preventing us from achieving. And the other thing is, and I, I hope there's a lot of risk directors here. I think there is. I think there is. I think there is. The part that I don't understand is, for some of us who have been to New York, there's a central park like down there. Yeah. And then that would be like an ideal place to finish a marathon, walk and enjoy yourself in the park. They decided to move it a little bit further to 72nd Avenue so that we could climb a hill like we've not run over five bridges. Like seriously, yeah. then you go to Boston. You know, Googling to see maybe, I was like, was there no any other route <laughs> other than going up the heartbreak hill? And I found a ton of them. <laughs> so then I'm thinking, what are they trying to test? But whatever they are trying to test, we proved that. Yeah. Whatever route you point us to, we're going to go through that route. And that is true for anything in life, too, anyway. So that's why you weren't surprised that we were here. It all makes sense. <laughs> it all makes sense. You believed in us from the get-go. We appreciate that, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the surprise, though, is we, like, where I was born, Kenya, Alaska, and I'm here with you guys. That is the surprise. Look at that. And when you guys were talking about diversity, sometimes when you th we are doing things saying, I want to do something to benefit myself, right? I want to do this for my own good and maybe a few people that I know. I don't care about other people elsewhere. I don't care about this other race, whether they are doing good or not. But this is what I ask myself. I was not there when all these great things in America were done, but I'm benefiting from them. But then I remember, but even those who are living here today, they were not there when the great things in this country were made or done. Yeah. Then you think of it this way. Think of someone we don't even know who did something so beneficial, not knowing who is going to benefit from it. As much as we talk about how we want to change things, we always like to point fingers. If, if you guys, wherever you're sitting, point at me, you think you're pointing at me, but guess what? There are three fingers pointing at you, saying, hey, you're trying to say one person needs to change this, but your four fingers are telling you, no, you are part of the solution too. So the surprise is, how come a kid was born in Kenya rural part of Kenya. People don't even use cars there. And for Joshua, who doesn't long, does Joshua have a car? You have a car. Have oh, a car. yeah, you need to sell that car. <laughs> you can run long distance if you don't have a car. So there is no car in Kenya. But look at what we are doing today. Look at what I am doing today. Through a tragic story, I am, I believe, had it not been for that frostbite that I went through, I don't think I would have had a platform to advocate what I am advocating now. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I would have had the courage. But the courage came from knowing how, how it feels like to be down there, like to be at your lowest point in your life. Even when I was running the New York Marathon and about to curse at uh, the whoever organized it, like, why did you have to put these three more miles up a hill? But then I remembered, but this is to give you that belief in yourself that, you know what, however, however hard it might seem at that particular moment that you're in, there's always a finish line and there's always 
coffee at the end of every race. <laughs> hey, hey, that's why we brought you here, man. That's why we brought you here, because I feel like when we had you on the podcast first time, every single time you talked, I'm like, this man's preaching to us, Aaron. This man's giving us inspiration. This man's giving us nuggets. And I felt motivated after the last time we talked to you. And I'm feeling motivated again. Like, I want to run 12 miles right now. Like, that's how I'm feeling. But I want to go off of that. Like, you saying that your tragic story is you're able to build off of that. Like, I really feel like how you talk, it's, re it's a redemption story. It's a story of triumph. And you were able to get over this mountain. Like, where does that, that, is that just from the tragic story? Is that, did that start when you were younger? Where does that come from, that being, always being able to preach like that? Uh, my dad, she passed, he passed away in 2014, had two wives, 20 kids. Wow. My biological mom had 11 of us. Uh, the other mom had nine. And growing up as a kid, I didn't see anything wrong with that. Not that there's wrong, something wrong with it now, but life was just so much fun. But I didn't realize, but now I can look back and see how challenging that was. And I like to tell people this. They're always asking me how fun it is, maybe. Or like, is it so much fun to be in Kenya seeing the elephant and the antelopes and all these other things? Yeah. I say, do you guys want a true story of my first experience with an elephant? <laughs> Bush Gardens in Tampa. I didn't see it in Kenya because the option was, do you want a shoe or you want a pair of clothes or you want to go and see animals? Because raising 20 kids was not uh, a joke. Yeah. Then the tragedy came. The tragedy came. And then I recovered from that. But then looking back at how I grew up, I realized that, you know, life had molded me without me knowing that it was molding me. So combining those two, I had built grit just being or growing up in this rural part of Kenya as a young kid going to school, no bus, you had to walk for four miles to go to school. But we were not walking on a sidewalk. You had to jump over a creek, climb fences, and walk, and you know, uphill, downhill, to school. So putting all those together, I can see now that, yes, this tragedy also built me, but my lifestyle growing up in Kenya also had built me, because it was not an easy life. Yeah. And there's something I brag about now that I tell myself. If I made it in Kenya, I can make it anywhere. <laughs> you know no, that Kenya is bad. No. But, <laughs> you know, now I am American enough. I can walk uh, by like 0.3 miles to go get something from a yeah. grocery store. Why would I walk it if I have my car keys with me? <laughs> Unless I've lost yes. them. Except though, this one thing. You know what? So I don't want to say, but well, I'm going to say it. I parked my car in a handicap in a running trail, and then I go run 20 miles. <laughs> Respect. Respect. But it's a lesson, too, because sometimes as a disabled person, they like to see themselves, you know, when they see that sign, say a disability sign, there's some kind of messaging that convinces them that maybe I cannot do ordinary things or even extraordinary things that other people do. But yes, we can. There is that inner power. You know, a lot of motivation for ourselves comes from the inside. I have, I have never ran with uh, headphones ever, even when I'm running 26 miles. No, because I like to face, like I like to zone it out. I don't want to. This is why I don't ride with it. If I'm like listening to music, maybe like streaming it, like or streaming music, yeah. and then there's like some puffering, or then I have to stop and think. Okay, now I have to fix this. And, 
I, I think that's a waste of time. When I hit that trail, it's me, my soul, my legs, the fake ones, and I'm going. <laughs> 20 yeah. miles. But I know I don't need that extra motivation from yes. upside because I have all I need in me. That inner power is in me. I can just switch it, generate it, all this. And that is where I plan on how to execute my next race. Because, but then, it's not that I'm not a music listener. Oh, yeah, you should ride with me in my car. What are, what are we listening to? Some Kenyan music. Okay, I love that. But also, I wanted to ask you, Marco, like, you talk about grit, molding you, the human spirit. Um, after the accident, recovering, like, when did you start to, like, tap into that grit, that human spirit? What made you recognize, you know, the human spirit with inside you and the boundless ends you could take it to? I will dodge your question because I am a good mind reader. Look at all these people. Look, look at them. Just look at them. Look at them. They are like, why are you guys talking like we know the story about this guy? Right? <laughs> what happened to him? Yeah, let us know. Let us know. Let the people know so, what happened. You <laughs> go straight into it. Yeah, yeah, give you thing. From Kenya to Alaska, 2008, on athletic scholarships. And while I was in Alaska, I convinced the coach up there in Alaska to recruit one of the kids that I knew from home back in Kenya. It was brought in 2010. In 2011, this kid committed suicide. He hanged himself. He called me asking if we could talk. It was a Friday, February 18th of 2011. But I didn't have time to go, and I didn't know what he wanted because he was just like, hey, can we talk? And then we went back that night to the apartment, and we couldn't get in because he had locked the room from the inside. And we usually didn't lock that apartment because it's college students' apartment. What would you steal? Some running shoes and stuff? <laughs> But then, you know, the, we had to call the police. We spent a night in a friend's house because, you know, there was no reason to believe that someone was in that. But we were wondering why was it locked. So the, the following morning, since we had not seen him, the police came, broke into the room, but then they came back and said, William has hanged himself. And that was me now thinking of what I could have done. You know, I started like, you know, the guilt moment now started coming. I should have done this, I could have done this, I should have, you know, trying to see what was more important, what I was doing or maybe going and speaking with him. But I didn't know what he wanted because my guess was, hey, maybe he found himself an American girlfriend and he wanted a proof from, or approval from the elder brother. That's exactly what I thought, actually. Mm -hmm. But then I didn't know it was something like that ended that way. But so that guilt just hit me so hard and, before I knew it, I was like really, really depressed. But I denied that I was depressed. An African man accepting that you are beaten and depressed? No way. Yeah. So I pushed myself, but people around me realized that things were not good for me. So they took me to a mental, uh, just a, a psychiatric unit for evaluation. And uh, they prescribed antidepressants for me. So that summer 2011, that fall, you know, winter came in. November 2011 took a ton of antidepressants. Like, I don't even know how many. Like, a lot of them and went for a run. Then I woke up in my sleep and I was like, where am I? I was like under a tree and like snow had covered me. For some of you from the northern states, you know how it feels like in November. So I was half frozen. Luckily, though, I was in a wooded area where I was able to stand up, you know, kind of was able to support myself, and I luckily walked in the right direction, and I ended up in a hotel lobby. And this is where I knew how long I had been out. A guy at the lobby asked me at the lobby, where have you been for three days? So then I don't remember what happened to the hospital, and then three days later, they said they had to amputate my feet. And you know, that is one of the hardest things that I've been asked in my life to make a decision about. Being asked, are you ready? I was not even given an option. It was like, yeah, we have to do this because gangrene was setting in and I was having blood poisoning. 
did you have like any in that moment like was your coach around your friends when you had to make that decision or were you just in the hospital by yourself i was in the hospital by myself like 23 20 i was 28 at the time but it's not like i was prepared for something yeah. like that at yeah. 28 but and my dad was still alive then my mom in kenya and i'm thinking what should i do and i'm sitting there going how am i gonna deliver this news and i was still thinking about my mom i knew my my dad would take it maybe but then i was like how am i going to break this to my mom so i called my dad and said dad i'm doing good i'm in good spirits kind of they are going to maybe cut a few of my toes i was ready to tell my dad they're gonna amputate my feet below the knee but then i was like no i don't want him to I just want to start from the toes and then come to the, <laughs> the up until, you know, I was trying to give him some, you know, shock absorbers. Yeah. So the amputation was done November 17th. And I told him, do not tell mom this. <laughs> Luckily, my mom doesn't read. So I knew he was not, she was not going to read it on a newspaper anywhere. I said, just keep, make mom too busy. Let her not see a picture of anything. So amputation, and then it was in the hospital, maybe like five days after the amputation that I started feeling better, just weirdly. And I didn't want to tell anybody because I was afraid if it was truly a good feeling or it was just, just me now going like farther south. So I said, no, you know. I, and, but I held the belief that I'm feeling good. And, you know, some of, you know, questioning myself, why am I at this stage in my life? Why am I here? And I realized I'm there because I was grieving about my cousin who had committed suicide and I should have done something. But then I asked myself, but if you had control over things in life, would it have been yourself? You would have prevented amputation of your feet. And it was at that moment that I realized in life that, you know what? I think that's true. There are some things in life that you might not even have control over. Just like now, you're going to be this guy who is going to be rolling on a wheelchair and doing some wheelies. <laughs> what else do you have in this life? And I told myself right from there, I want to be, I don't want to hide this. I want to share my story about what I went through to make sure that people understand that you can go through a lot of challenges in life, but heck, you can make a living out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people, I was, I, you know, and then I didn't question it so much. I said, yeah, I'm just going to be this inspiring person. I'm going to be talking and inspiring people and telling people you don't need to run only 800 meters. You can run a marathon and you don't need your music. You can just run without music. Like I do some crazy things in life. Just make it fun. Just make your own fun life. And I tried to do that. I embraced that and I did it. And I really, really started speaking about depression because this is the part that I have never, I've been to uh, you know, a hospital for some other issues, but I remember the questions that I got asked. And you know, thinking of it now, it makes me feel sad. They, you know, a psychiatrist asks a patient, and I'm not saying this is what you are about to do. I'm just pretending I'm a psychiatrist here. And they say, hey, Aaron, why did you want to kill yourself? And this is somebody we want them to recover and we are telling them you wanted to kill yourself. I think messaging is very important. The way we present our messaging, the way we ask questions, the way we encourage people to run. You know how I encourage people to run? Oh. We are paying insurance. Your premiums are really high. <laughs> uh, life itself is so high. Gas is so expensive. But still, your insurance, you'll have to keep paying for it. But even when you go to the hospital for some other issues that could have been knocked out by you exercising and being fit, you still have to pay your insurance your premiums, which will be slightly higher. I know you'll be panting so hard when you're running, but it's cheaper. It's the <laughs> cheapest way to live. It's so cheap. Yeah. The only thing you need to do is maybe slightly bend down and just do some deep breathing, hyperventilate for a little bit. <laughs> That's all. 
and you'll feel better for the rest of that day if you do it. So I think it's that messaging that, you know, as a, you know, as a mental health now advocate, <laughs> yes, particularly some of us who are not about to go cook right now, we have to help somebody who is struggling by asking them the right question. Be like, yes, Joshua, I know you are going through a lot of struggles right now. And whatever ways you think you are trying to solve this, I don't think that is the best way. Because guess what? If you, like, you oh. took those out, look how. That was a nice cage. Hey, <laughs> I could have ruined the mic. <laughs> look at how, what you could do yeah. to yourself being out for more than 56 hours in the cold. Yes, we understand you're grieving about your cousin, but you could have talked to somebody. Just maybe ask a friend to go for a run with. But now, tell me, what do you feel today? How are you feeling? Not, why did you want to kill yourself? Because I wanted to, I don't, no, because Human beings are creatures of survivals. Right now, if a fire alarm goes off, what are we going to do? Where the exit is, that's where we are going. Because we, so whatever people do sometimes, so they are tr they're trying to survive. They are trying to survive that particular moment. Mm -hmm. So that is my story. So I recovered from that. Look now how relaxed our... Yes, sir. They are very relaxed. They know the story now. So that is how I motivated myself and encouraged myself to come out of that. Being able to be proud of myself and walk around and be like, look at this. The only thing that I need to be taller than you is an Allen wrench and I can make myself taller. <laughs> I love, I love to hear it. And be able, for you to be able to bounce back and to continue running, it's just beautiful. It's poetic. And, like, it's great to see. I remember when me and Aaron, we seen you at the New York City Marathon just run by, like, on that, talking about going in Central Park and you running up those hills. And we're like, dang, this man moving. Like, you next to Shalane Flanagan. And you be able to get through into that. It's, it's, it's amazing to really see. But as you went in back to running after your amputation, like, you're sprinting at first. Like, you weren't, you weren't running the marathon straight up. Like, you're competing. You were sprinting because the spaces for you for, like, the marathon weren't there, particularly for, like, the Paralympics. So the Paralympics doesn't have marathons for my classification. So immediately after my amputation, I tried to be a sprinter, which I was. I ran my 450 seconds. So okay. That's good enough for no, a that's nice. long-distance guy. 5-0? Yeah, five zero. Aaron, you got that? I don't know. He might get. He, he probably got me. He probably got me right now. <laughs> Be honest. We go. So I did that. Uh, twenty sixteen, I was not able to go to Rio because in twenty fifteen, I went to drug relays in Iowa. My wife then, her due date was like three weeks from the day that I was in drug relays, trying to get some time to qualify for Rio. Mm. And a friend of mine calls me, she's like, yeah, your wife is at the hospital. She's having the baby. <laughs> like, oh, what? <laughs> I tried to get back to Anchorage and I couldn't because like, all the flights that I was trying to would get me the same time as my original flight. So I waited anyway. I missed her delivery by like three hours. So in twin, during the Rio, I was, my wife had a scheduled C-section. And it was debating between now missing these other ones delivery and going to Rio. Or so that, and then also during that time, there was, I was still a Kenyan a citizen. So I was representing Kenya and there was some financial issues with the Kenyan uh, Paralympics. So it was an easy decision for me because now I had this uh, decision to make to just be there with my wife. So after the 2016, I just, something in me, even when I was sprinting, was telling me I need to do the long distance running. So then I decided to switch to long distance running. And just because I had a feeling that I think I can, you know, I had more in me on that. So 
I was then I was in Alaska, but I was coming here in Orlando for my prosthetic fitting. So talking to the guy that, you know, the Prosthetic and Orthotic Associates owner here in Florida told me, you know what? How are you going to train for a marathon in Alaska? So then, then I was like, how are you going to train for a marathon in Florida? It's a sea level, but I'm glad I made it. You know, you know I made yeah. that decision to come to Florida because it was then that I came in summer of 2018 and then did the New York City Marathon that fall, ran my 252. Two hours fifty-two uh, second a uh, minute. Then that's how I was now on a roll of like, you know what? If I can break uh, sub three, I think I still have a lot in the tank. So then here I am now doing the long distance. But talking about that experience of the limited chances that are there yeah. in the Paralympics, you know, opportunities. I know we have to go out and seek for them. But in the running world, running community, I think if we provide more avenues, more opportunities for everyone, a lot of people would come from their hiding places because there is something that they are going after. We, you know, you cannot admire that that is not even there. Like, how can we admire something that doesn't exist? Or how can you set a goal about something that doesn't exist? I remember uh, 2019. October 13, 2019, when, uh, when Eli Kipchoge broke two, Bridget Koske broke the world record. Yes. And you break the world record, too, for WFUTs. But yeah, so I ran and I finished the uh, Chicago Marathon. And I, you know... Even when I brag here that I can motivate myself, sometimes I like people to give me a little bit of like, you did it. I know I did it, but <laughs> I crossed the finish line. Luckily, I went with my wife and she gave me a hug and said, you did it. And I said, I just ran a 237 and she's the only person who is proud of that, nobody else. <laughs> so then, but then I was thinking about like the media, uh, the race organizers, and I was like, it's not like I wanted someone to come to my house to give me that hug. I didn't want the media group to send their film crew and everybody to my house. Yeah. I just wanted to, to just take pictures of me right there and just put a slight headline saying, a guy without legs finishes Chicago Marathon 237. And not because I want to hear that. So that that story can inspire someone out there who will be like, wow. I just thought my knee was giving me some trouble. This guy doesn't even have a foot. Yes, yes. Yeah, that is all I, I, know. I we are asking. Like we were talking about Jesse Owens. Yeah. Like why is he not a talk of the century? Because nobody is putting the story out there. And there's nothing. I'm not against Prefontaine. It's not his fault that people are talking about him. He's been given a platform. So yes, of course, we will know about him because there's a place, if you want to read about Steve Prefontaine, or you don't even need to read, you just need to watch your television during track seasons and wait, somebody is going to mention them. Yeah. So that is what I felt like the next, and I was telling you, remember, in the podcast, and you guys helped me because I was in this dilemma of, do I need to start pushing this or mm -hmm. it's gonna be sounding like I'm complaining? But you told me, no, it's not complaining. Yeah. It's creating awareness. And then I said, yes, English is my second language. I didn't know about that. <laughs> now I do. Creating awareness, making sure. That I th I, I'm a believer that people will remember personal stories and they will be inspired by personal stories. I was waiting for people to clap that they are inspired by my story. <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I was checking if people are listening. So yeah. I believe that personal stories change lives. They really do. I watch a lot of speakers myself who have their personal stories. They have had comebacks in life. You know, I am not a golfer, but 
mean that masters take a word to us? I was like, ooh. I watched that. I was so nervous. And then he won it. And I'm like, man, I didn't know. What are the rules of golf? I don't even know anything. But <laughs> just the story itself of a comeback. I didn't care who was playing it. It was just that human spirit that, you know what? I read it somewhere that one journalist has said when he had something that this, this is it for him, but he proved that person wrong by saying that was not it. And the story that I take from personal comebacks like that is, look at what I can do. I can take that and like, look at what I can do. If I put my brain there, I put my head, my body, everything, my soul there, I can do it. So that was why I was like, I think we still have a lot to create awareness. Mm -hmm. You know, previously I, I used to think we still have a lot to complain about. Yeah. Even, even after finishing uh, New York City Marathon, or not even that, Boston Marathon had their first pair. Yeah. Category 2021. And I was expecting to hear from like the big, big media houses saying, let's now see the lineup of these para athletes. It was not, and they were there. The only thing that they needed to do was just pan the camera to this group of para athletes. And just say one word. These are people who have overcome some odds in life. You know, this ESPN guy says, this guy needs to go to journalism. <laughs> <laughs> I am thinking about it. So yeah, so that is what I, am, I think we need. Because look, we can talk about so many things that we want to change. But if we don't do them, do you think we will change anything? No. We need inclusivity. We need coverage. We need media. We need this. What if we don't? We, what if nothing is done? Do you think we will get somewhere? And that goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of the podcast too. You gotta go out there and do it. You gotta be able to believe in yourself and have faith that you're gonna do this. I feel like that's what we've been talking about throughout the entire conference, mm -hmm. especially at the beginning this morning too. But we have about like five more minutes oh, or what? three more minutes, then we'll be out of here. I just want to make sure, because I know Aaron about to, about to go off, too, right now. No, I just wanted to say, too, it's like knowing that, because you said, I didn't want to complain, you know? And it's recognizing that, you know, your story matters, you know, regardless. Right. And people recognizing you and, like, your story matters will carry on to other, other people similar to you in that same situation. But it's still going to inspire people who are different than you. And it's going to be like... Oh, I wonder. I want to know what Marco is going to run. Is he going to break the world record at Boston? Like, that should be something talked about. And I feel like, like Joshua was saying, like, you broke the world record the same day as Kip Choge, Bridget Coast Guy. Like, and what you ran was insane. Like, it wasn't no slouch. Like, 235 is insane. Insane to run. So, your story, your story matters just as much as those. And, that needs to be recognized, I feel like. But I think, too, the, the, the challenge that we face <laughs> and the challenge that most athletes face is when we try to create that awareness, there's also the repercussion from that. You're getting... I'm not saying I've been punished for speaking about what I'm speaking, but most of the time, these people are just left there Nobody covers about them because they complain and then we just leave them out there. And then that story just dies that way. But I think this is how we can do it. We can start it here today by taking out your phone. You have your phone somewhere there? And then go to your Instagram and then type Marco Cicero and follow me. There, next time when I do something, I got that. I got that. I got you already. I got you already. Share it with friends, and I think we can start from there. Yeah. No, I think so too. I think you can also follow me on Strava Super Hot Pod. Stop, stop. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But then, you know, but then, you know, the beauty of running, you know, for me, it's therapy. That's where I go and like unleash all my insanity. 
yeah. on the train. Just run and run and run and run. And, you know, the importance of creating that awareness so that someone else can understand that, you know what, it's one of the cheapest sports. Even guys without legs can do it, you know. <laughs> you don't even need the most fancy shoes to be a runner. As long as you have shoes that will not cause an injury, you can run. And running, though, you know, there's this, and I, I still think that way, too, but running is not about speed. People think when they say running, they say, I'm not fast. I'm saying, man, even if English is my second language, a definition of running is not fast. Running is going faster than your walk. If you walk slow, walk faster, and then that becomes your run. Do, we are not running saying, I want to run a two thirty. You know, we have to be honest and like, you know, to ourselves. Yeah. You can't run a 235 if you can't run a 235. But you can run eight hours, <laughs> marathon yeah. pace. But yeah. I'm not saying run eight hours like in one day. You can run that over time. And then we build on it. And, and this is a fact. I have not done any research, but it doesn't need a research. I know this for a fact. There is no other sport that can be done without running. And even if it's a sport that is done without running, and you're running late to the venue, you have to run to the venue. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, though, Marco, for joining us on the Two Black Runners podcast. We're just two black runners with Marco Tuzetto. Thank you all. For Aaron and Josh and Marco, yes. Keep it going for Aaron, Joshua Potts, Marcus Giacetto. That's one.